You're listening to a sermon from the Spring Midtown Church in Phoenix, Arizona. If you'd like to learn more about the Spring and its ministry, please visit thespringmidtown.org or follow us on Instagram or Facebook. Hallelujah. Turn with me in a Bible to Matthew chapter 28, if you got one, a phone, if you don't have one of those. And if you don't have a Bible or a phone, I will buy you a Bible, but not a phone. Uh, Let me know after this. We love buying people Bibles. Matthew chapter 28. We're going to be at verse 1. Matthew 28, starting at verse 1. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descending from heaven came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes white as snow. For fear of him, the guards shook and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here, for he has been raised, as he said. Come, let us see the place where he lay, then go quickly and tell his disciples. He has been raised from the dead, and indeed you are going, he is going ahead of you to Galilee, and there you will see him. This is my message for you. So they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came to him and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. During Lent, we have a habit in the church of fasting. Not eating meat or coffee or chocolate from Ash Wednesday all the way to Good Friday. But we don't just fast from food during Lent. We also fast from a word. Hallelujah. Say that with me. Hallelujah. Nice. Hallelujah means praise God. Turn to somebody next to you and say, praise God. God. Now, but like you mean it, though. Praise God. God. There we go. Now you're, all right. So you may not have noticed this, but in many churches for a really long time, people have fasted from the word hallelujah during Lent. Now, this isn't every church, and it's not all the time. This isn't a rule or anything. But it is a tradition, just to substitute, to remove one word from our vocabulary, to stop singing songs that have the word hallelujah in them, to have pastors who don't say that word in sermons or preach on it, or read passages of scripture that have it in it during Lent. We wait till Easter, because we're so focused on the cross, we're so remembering, actually, that there's sin and death and pain in our world, that the all is not yet right with us, all is not yet right with the world, and And so we remove one word of joy and praise for our vocabulary so that when it comes to Easter, we can finally praise God with a word we've been waiting to say. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Because he is risen. risen See, now y'all are paying attention. I'm liking it. So we've been living in a land without hallelujah for a long time. I don't know if you feel that way, but I do. It's been a long, long year. A lot of people in a lot of pain and a lot of uncertainty, wondering if we were going to have a job, wondering what would happen to the stock market, wondering if the business we built would go away, wondering if the position we've slowly and carefully cultivated would disappear, wondering if we'd be able to buy food or toilet paper, wondering, actually, if basic things in our life would go away. We've lived through a serious amount of political turmoil and distrust and anger and violence and all sorts of really crazy, difficult things. 
And we've been alone through a lot of it, isolated and distanced in most of it. Quarantine, which is like a tomb, actually, stuck inside something we can't seem to get out of. And a lot of people have a lot of opinions, and nobody really seems to know exactly what to do. And that's sort of where we're living these days, in fear and anxiety, wondering about the future. And it's been over a year since we've been able to be in a church on Easter. But today, we get to say, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Why? He is risen. Now, that's a really important thing. For many people, Easter, for a long time, has been about eggs and chocolate and jelly beans and bunnies. And those are not bad things. I love particularly the chocolate and the jelly beans. Delicious. (laughs) Those are great ways to celebrate and bring joy to children. Those are great ways to remember the day. But that is not what Easter is about, because that has no ability to do anything for us in the world in which we live. The only thing that matters in the world in which we live is whether or not Jesus really rose from the dead. Whether or not this day is actually about the thing that we say it's about. That he walked off that thing into a grave and back out of it. Is that true or not? He is risen. Now that, that is what the passage of scripture we're reading is all about today. These ladies are in a truly hopeless situation. They are walking to a tomb and they do not expect to see anything good. They expect only to weep. That's where they're at today. They've had 48 really rough hours. Just to recap, one of their good friends betrayed their best friend in the world for money. Not a lot of money. He was convicted of crimes he did not commit. A man who was uniquely powerful, Jesus, who always knew the right thing to say, who always knew the right thing to do, who seemed just favored by God, who could get out of any and every sticky situation. He literally walked on water, and yet he was convicted, sentenced to death, beaten by the cops, tortured, strung up on a cross, murdered, and his just shattered body was taken down and put in a tomb. That's the end of chapter 27. These ladies watch. These two ladies watch as they put him in a tomb and watch as the stone is rolled by many strong men in front of the grave. And his guards are posted. They have been doing for the last few days what you and I would be doing, crying. They've been having trouble eating. They've been having trouble sleeping. They've been feeling anxious and afraid and just unable to breathe. And now they're stumbling toward the tomb, kind of replaying over and over again in their minds exactly what you would do, right? Going back into the situation and and thinking about how how it happened, and how if only I'd known, and if only we'd done things differently, if only he'd escaped, if only we could undo it, if only we could go back, if only this. Thinking about who's at fault, thinking about, and just trying to make it go backwards, trying to make it not happen that way. And they can't do it. And they come to the tomb, because what else are you going to do? Right? And their feet are heavy. If you've ever been to a graveyard, you know how that feels? Like there's a weight tied around your neck? Like it's hard to breathe? And as they get closer in the pre-dawn hours, they see Roman soldiers. These are the people who killed Jesus. These are their enemies. The most fearsome warriors on earth, the people who rolled the stone there in the first place, are now making sure nobody tries anything. And they're also there to take down names, because if you are sad about a criminal, then maybe you are the kind of person we should be crucifying next. And these are not exactly nice people, particularly not to women in the dark when there are no witnesses. These people have every reason to be afraid. They have every reason to grieve. And then the earth shakes. 
and everybody stops. And the Roman soldiers start looking around because it's an earthquake. And nobody knows yet, but all of creation has begun to shout hallelujah. hallelujah. He is risen. He is risen they don't know yet. And all of a sudden, the earth kind of crackles with electricity and the sky opens and, and there is just an angel from the Lord who lands. And it says he looks like lightning with clothes on. That's what it says in our story. You know lightning. It's about this big and from miles away when it flashes and you close your eyes, you can still see it. That's how radiant it is with power. Imagine if it stood next to you and didn't go away. All of a sudden, these hardened Roman soldiers who are afraid of nothing start fainting. And the angel doesn't care. They're like bushes or birds, just part of the landscape. He's focused on the rock. And he just slowly kind of rolls it away and then sits on it, which I think is hilarious. That just, just hanging out on it like it was nothing. He literally makes light of this crazy burden, metaphorically as well. He's sitting right on top of it as soldiers are fanning in front of him. And then he starts talking to the ladies and says, don't be afraid. You're looking for Jesus. Don't be afraid. You're looking for Jesus. Now that is a word for you and I here today. Because many of us, when we show up to church, or when we try to read a Bible, or when we try to pray, or we think about God, we feel like there is a huge boulder between us and Him. Most of the times in our life, we feel like there are massive obstacles between us and the people we really want to be, or us and the people we genuinely love, or especially between us and Jesus. There is a stone undoubtedly in your way today, and you are thinking about it as I talk about it. I don't know what it is but I think it's worth naming your stones. Is it an addiction? Or having trouble admitting that you have an addiction? Is it your anger? Is it indifference? What's your stone? Is it the fact that you just don't really know what to do anymore? And you're filled with anxiety all the time? Is it some trauma from the past? Your relationship with your family? What's your stone? Is it that there's just some story you keep replaying in your head and you keep trying to make it go backwards and you can't seem to stop it? Shame or guilt? Is it your cynicism? Your doubt? The religious people have beaten up on you over the years? What's your stone? Here's the incredible good news of the gospel, or at least part of it. That there is nothing, nothing to be afraid of if you were looking for Jesus. There is no stone that can stand between you and Jesus Christ. No obstacle, no barrier strong enough to withstand the power of Jesus Christ. The grave couldn't hold him. Death couldn't stop him. There is nothing in your life that can truly divide you from the God of the universe. And the amazing thing is, all of this happened long before you ever wanted it. Long before you even asked for it, he died for you. He decided on you. He picked you. He chose you. His arms are wide open, and he is inviting you into his family today, inviting you to let him roll it away today, to let it go and let him move that heavy weight that you don't think anyone can move. Try me, says Jesus Christ. I have done better. I have defeated worse. I promise you that if you call out to Jesus, you will find that he is more than able to deliver you from anything and everything you could possibly imagine. Look at the story in verse 2. Is Jesus in the grave? 
when the stone gets rolled away, are they letting Jesus out? No. He's already gone. The barrier is not between God and us anymore. The barrier is entirely on our side. God is moving this out of the way so we can see that there really is nothing between him and us anymore. He is risen. Hallelujah. There we go. I like the angel sitting on the rock, chatting over fainted Roman soldiers. And just talking like this is the most normal thing in the world. Like, of course, you would expect to see me. I mean, he told you he was going to rise from the dead. Did you not? You guys, you've been crying? What? I, it's been for like 48 hours. You can't go 40. Of course he's coming back. He told you he was Did you? You didn't think you would see an angel today? You, did, you weren't expecting this? The angel doesn't seem to understand mortal emotions or just problems in general. <laughs> Let's just review. Again, the ladies are walking, heads downcast, worried. They see soldiers. They're afraid. They're anxious. They've gone through a lot for the last 48 hours. They're grieving. They're going through all sorts of things in their brains. And then all of a sudden, there's an earthquake. Now, that's a big thing, right? When there's an earthquake, that's the kind of thing we notice. And we tell our friends about it. That would be a big day. And the soldiers feel the earthquake. And then all of a sudden, angel of the Lord. That's a big day. Just the existence of angels, a very big day. And then that the Roman soldiers start fainting without actually having to have some kind of fight. Amazing. And then that the angel rolls away the stone like it's nothing, and then sits on top of it and starts chatting with you. All of that would be a very big day in their lives. So much so that I think it would take a second for this sentence to register. Oh, you're looking for Jesus? Yeah, he's gone. The dead guy. He left. He had stuff to do. But if you go that way and tell his friends, you'll probably meet up with him. He's that way. I have to stay here. I've got to tell people because no one's going to know what happened otherwise. This is the angel to the people. I like that in verse 5, the angel clarifies which Jesus we're talking about. Don't be afraid. You're looking for Jesus, the one who was crucified. Just in case there was another Jesus that you were looking for. I can't be keeping track of all the Jesuses. There might be other Jesus who's died. Just to, you seem confused. Is it, were you looking for a different Jesus? No, the crucified, the guy who was God in the flesh, who died on the cross for that guy. Yeah, no, he's, he left. He wrote, he told you he was going to, did you, were you not paying attention? You need to go tell those guys, because didn't he tell them? Were you not, did we miss something significant in the, the plan of salvation that somehow we missed, that God was always going to do this, that this was always the plan? The angel doesn't seem to realize how life-changing this information is, how world-shattering it is. This is the central affirmation of Christianity. This is the crucial piece of information. If you can get your head around this, or at least begin to believe that it's true if you can't understand it, this is what it means to be a Christian, to believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, that he is in fact God and human, at the same time, in a way that is difficult, really, to wrap our heads around. The ladies who don't quite believe this, who run away in a little bit to grow and tell their friends, these ladies will find Jesus, and they will fall at his feet, because he has feet, and they will worship him because he's God. This is God with feet. <laughs> this is a God whose feet have holes in them because he was crucified, who is very much alive because he rose from the dead. This is the really difficult thing about Christianity. And I know many of us here might not actually have bought into this today, and that's okay. We're really glad you're here. Happy Easter. 
But it's a really tricky thing to believe that Jesus rose from the dead, to believe, actually, that in a world with electric lights and, you know, cell phones in our pockets and airplanes and indoor plumbing, that we are maybe not more sophisticated than these people, that these people maybe were just gullible at the time. And I will tell you that we know some things that they did not know about, but I don't think people were any more gullible a couple thousand years ago. I just don't. They might not have known about cell phones, but they knew about graveyards. They knew about dead people and what happens to them. They stay dead. The amazing thing is that these women don't say, well, we saw a ghost and it was Jesus, because that would have been believable at the time. He had messages for us and we bring those messages to other people. That'd be believable in our time that we saw a ghost, that we had a vision of Jesus, that there was this amazing kind of waking dream or an amazing dream that we had of Jesus. That would have been believable in their time. That would have been believable in our time. That would not have been controversial. The crazy thing that they say is, he is alive. He is risen. He is risen Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now that is a crazy idea, because if that really is true, that means that death is not the end of Jesus' story. And not only that, that means that death is not the end of the story of anyone who follows Jesus. That is a revolutionary idea and a crazy one. Now, I know that there are folks in our time who would say, well, you know, the Bible has a lot of crazy things, and I have trouble believing some of the crazy things. I get that. That makes sense to me. Or I know folks in our time who go, the Christians. Hmm, the Christians are, there are a lot of things about the Christians I don't like. The Christians really bug me. I get that. That makes sense to me. The Christians bug me too. There are definitely moments when people will talk to me and they'll go, oh, there's some things about what you guys believe. It's just offensive to me. I get that. I understand that. It makes sense to me. Here's the deal. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, none of that stuff matters. It's just a complete waste of time. You're off the hook. Don't even bother. I say this to you as a pastor. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, I am wasting my time in every way. But if Jesus rose from the dead, then all of that other stuff we're going to have to figure out. Everything in the Bible, all the stuff with the Christians who we don't like, all the stuff that people believe that, that are really tough things for us to, to wrap our heads around. And the Bible would say, look, you can look. You, I mean, you don't just have to believe all of this. Go ahead. And go in and look. That's what the angel says. He's not here. He left. But you can go see where he was. You can go investigate this for yourself. Ask questions. Poke around. See what you think. The church, when it's at its best, has never had a problem with questions. We have never had a problem with skeptics. We get it. In fact, many of us were skeptics at one point. Many of us were doubters at one point. And little by little, the more questions we asked, the more we began to believe, no, he really rose from the dead. And that changes everything, everything in our lives. But I will freely admit to you, I have gambled my life. I have gambled my life and my death on the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. But you also are gambling your life and your death on whether or not you believe that Jesus rose from the dead. That is the message of Easter. There's kind of no way around it. Tim Keller had a story many years ago about an Italian minister who's walking through a graveyard. And this is a weird thing. Pastors, we like graveyards. I know that sounds like odd and morbid. There's something about graveyards that are really interesting if you can get over some of the discomfort of it. There's a wisdom there. People writing about their life and their death. People writing about the lives and deaths of their loved ones. What they chose to say. What they wanted people to see about them or about people they loved. So the minister's walking through and he's, he's reading different gravestones and, and he comes to one that's massive, just a huge slab of marble, like this thick, 
conspicuous, bigger than the grave should be, like it's trying to keep something down. And on the, the gravestone is written, I am an atheist, I do not believe in the resurrection. I am not going to rise from the dead, you're all wasting your time. Which I think is a bold move, throwing shade at people in a graveyard. But he's dead, so he can do that. Right? And all over the place in little symbols, it says, I mean, honestly, little mocking jokes like, if the resurrection happens, don't wake me up. Don't move the stone. I want to stay in here. But a really ironic thing had happened over the years. An acorn had somehow made its way under the slab of stone, and little by little, an oak tree had grown through it and split the thing, and there was actually a tree growing straight in, straight in the middle of it. So some of these sentences were actually broken up by this great living thing. And the minister was looking at it and thinking just how ironic it was that there was something in this world and in this life that starts small but has this sort of crazy power of life in it that manages to move this stone away. And if there really is a God, what could get that God do with my life? What could, that, what could that God do with my death? But that is also part of the gospel. What could God do with my life as well as with my death? Christianity is not just about what happens after you die. It's about the kind of person we are now. What does it really look like to follow Jesus? Who is it that we're called to be if he really is risen? I said it a little different that time. You got to watch out. You got to watch out. The angel, yeah, hallelujah. The angel's sitting on the rock. He's talking to these ladies. And the ladies go and they run and they find Jesus. Or really, Jesus seems to find them. That's always how it goes. You think you're looking for Jesus and it turns out Jesus has been looking for you. And when they come across Jesus, he says, hi, which I think is incredible. Like, what do you say after you rise from the dead? Ta-da, I don't know, right? But something, you would expect something a little bit more than, hi. My Bible, the translation said greetings, which is just a sign sometimes that Bible translators are bad at their job. Because honestly, it's just, hey, like, which very sort of anticlimactic in many ways. Like, hi, guys. And just like it's normal, of course I'm alive, of course I'm here. And they run and they fall at his feet and they worship him. And Jesus starts talking to them and says, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go see my friends. And sure enough, he's on his way to go and see his friends. Many of his friends, by the way, will not believe that Jesus is alive. This is a story that repeats a few times in the Bible. They don't believe that he's alive until he actually shows up. I will not believe it till I see him. Oh, my God, it's God. And then they, then they start to believe in Jesus. And little by little in the New Testament, there's just this constant kind of refrain. Look, if you don't believe me, talk to Kyle. Kyle saw him. If you don't believe Kyle, there's a whole bunch of other people. Go talk to those people. The case that the Bible makes is go and see for yourself. Go ask for yourself. Go look. But the crazy thing is there were lots of people in the time of Jesus who genuinely did not believe he'd risen from the dead. This is why it was controversial, that he'd come back in a body. These people did not believe it. And nobody ever produces a body. Nobody ever says, he's right there. Go look. This is a really strange thing. It's, it's as though Jesus somehow had gotten out. That's, that's one of the only explanations I've got for these New Testament stories, that Jesus really is alive, that he's on the move, that he's on the loose, that he's out there. And he could be here at any moment. You could see him at any moment. There's a friend of mine who's a firefighter at the Tucson Zoo. Uh, well, no, he's a firefighter, sorry, just in Tucson. But there was a fire a little bit before COVID at the Tucson Zoo. So he was a firefighter briefly at the Tucson Zoo, which is a strange thing. And, and when the phone calls come in, this is a really weird thing that happens. They don't always know where they're going. And so the call comes in, and they're driving, and they realize, oh, the fire's at the zoo. Well, this, 
That's pretty crazy. And firefighters aren't really freaked out by fires. They sort of expect them. And so they're wearing the hats, and they've got the, the gear, and they're holding the axes, and they're going in, and the fire is sort of all over the place. But there's one particular area, one of the paddocks is on fire. And so they've got their axes, and they're these huge doors. And they've both got their axes, these two guys, and they're right next to each other. And they're about to crack into it, and they stop. And one of the guys says, what's on the other side of this door? And they both back up a little bit, and they're like, <laughs> There could be snakes, there could be spiders, there could be, there could be lions, multiple lions. This is, what's, and so they go and they try to find somebody, but it's night. And so the only person there is a night watchman. And they say, what's behind this door? And he says, I don't know, I'm a temp. <laughs> and so everyone's looking around and the only sign they can see says, large animal enclosure. So whatever it is, it's big. And they're, they're genuinely concerned about, about this, and they know, but the fire's still going, and all of this takes a few minutes, and so they decide to rig up like, something to open the door. And so they kind of throw a rope around the door, and they're kind of tucking away to the side. They're figuring, whatever's in there doesn't want to eat us. It just wants out as fast as it can. But if we let it out, it's going to move fast. And so they're all kind of tucked away, and everyone just sort of braces themselves, and they yank, and the door opens. And nothing happens. And one of the guys kind of grabs an axe. And just sort of... And, and there's, there's, nothing, there's nothing in there. And they're sort of an all-clear, and they grab the hoses, and they start putting out the fire, which takes a while. And they figure they're going to find burned bodies or bones or something like that. It's going to be sad. Nothing. And they're very confused as to what's happening, but they're still fighting fires in different places at the zoo because it's kind of broken out into a couple of spots. And all of a sudden, they hear on the night watchman's radio, the zebras are on the loose. <laughs> the zebras are on the loose. And this was a real thing that happened at the Tucson Zoo. The zebras had somehow gotten out of the zoo and were on the loose. And that's a really crazy situation. That's not even believable, and yet somehow it happened. And the zebras could be anywhere. At any given, there could be a herd of zebras roaming through Tucson. They're looking, and they're, they're in the parking lot, and by the gift shop, and in the rhino enclosure. Somehow the zebras had gotten into and out of in a variety of different places, and were just sort of hanging out, as zebras do. And you could discover them just about anywhere because the zebras were on the loose. And this is absolutely the message of the angel and absolutely the message of Easter, that Jesus is on the loose. He's not where he was. He could be anywhere. And this is a real thing that Christians absolutely believe, that sometimes we forget that Jesus is on the loose, that today, and I'm not kidding, I mean today, and I mean literally, you might be walking on the street and see Jesus, and he could say, hi. And that would be how you would find out that Jesus was back. Because that's all the level of announcement these ladies got. There may not be an angel, there may not be an earthquake. You might just come across Jesus at any given moment in your life because Jesus is on the loose. And this is incredible good news for you and me. Incredible good news at Easter because he is risen. He is risen. He is risen A little bit louder. He is risen. He is risen Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus.